Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, into LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth True Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, today I have a very interesting topic where we're going to be those who have, you know, kids and those who want to learn about financial literacy will love uh, this uh, podcast episode. Uh, my guest today is Michael Totorich from Austin, Texas. Michael, say hi to everyone. Hey, everybody. And hey, James, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to uh, talk with you about the book. Good, good, good. So Mike, this is Michael's first podcast, right? So a lot of times we bring in guests that they have been in many, many podcasts, but Michael is special right now because this is the first time um, he has been on a podcast. Uh, I'm sure he has other places where he go and, uh, you know, uh, people get to know him. But I think today we want to talk about his book, right? Because he just recently released uh, an awesome book, which I think is really, really needed for everyone who's trying to uh, learn about financial education. So Michael, uh, why not you introduce yourself about you and yourself and uh, later go through a bit more about your book? Yeah, I guess, you know, let me start with, I'm going to talk about the book and then in talking about the book, I'm also going to give some background on myself. But before I jump into what the book is about, I, I think it's important that I talk about my motivations and reasons for writing this book. And let me give some background on myself because I think that will also add a bit of context as to why I wanted to write this book. So, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, I'm from Austin, Texas. I actually went to UT Austin, got my undergrad there, went to Macomb School of Business. After graduating, uh, I worked for an insurance brokerage company, uh, Aon Hewitt, if you've heard of them, in their LA office for about four years. I then came back to Austin, got my MBA uh, at UT Austin. And and during business school, I worked for a small uh, investment fund through the business school. I think back then we had about $20 million in assets under management. I'm not sure what it is now, but got some really great experience there. Then went to work for ExxonMobil as a financial controller for about seven years uh, and then transitioned into my current finance role uh, with uh, Aramco. And Additionally, just more about my educational background, I've also sat for all levels uh, of the CFA exam. And so I wanted to go through my background kind of in a bit of detail, not to embellish, but really to kind of point out that it took all of these uh, experiences, you know, my work experience, getting my MBA, taking the CFA exams. And it, it, not, not sure if your listeners are familiar with the CFA, but it's a chartered financial analyst. It's kind of like a CPA, but for finance folks. But, but it took all of these experiences to really gather the, you know, the financial literacy and this, this financial knowledge that I have. And financial literacy, financial knowledge is not just important for folks that work in finance, right? It's important to every adult because we use finance. I have to make financial decisions on a daily basis. Um, and you shouldn't have to get an MBA 
And you shouldn't have to sit for the CFA to learn this stuff because it's just so important. It's so applicable to everyone. And I, and I truly believe that. And so, um, it, you know, we expect, uh, you know, like our high school kids, right, uh, to come out of high school well-rounded. Uh, we make them take chemistry. We make them take biology and social studies. And, and that's all great. But the, the truth of it is, is that those subjects, they're not applicable to most people outside of an academic setting, right? But personal finance is applicable once again to all of us on a daily basis, but yet that's nowhere to be found. And it just, just kind of boggles my mind. Um, that, that we don't teach this stuff and make it more readily available. Once again, just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. That's that's one side of why I wanted to write this book. The other reason why I wanted to write this book is that I'm also a father. So I have two young kids, 9 and 11. And like any good dad, right, I want to set my kids up for success. And knowing that my kids aren't going to get taught this information anywhere else, I said to myself, okay, I'm, I'm decently financially literate. How do I take all this knowledge in my brain and these concepts and communicate them to my kids. And I said, okay, well, in order to effectively do this, I, I need to document my thoughts in an organized manner. And that meant putting pen to paper. So kind of as I started on this project, I said to myself, you know, it's not just my kids. Everybody needs to know this stuff. Um, and I said that I, I need to make a proper book out of this. And so that was kind of uh, the idea uh, with writing the book. And, and what I wanted to do was give my kids a, a framework so that when they come across these major financial decisions in life that I know they're going to encounter, that they can have, uh, you know, like a playbook, so to speak, where they can reference it and at least have a framework. OK, like how do I tackle this? Right. And I wrote the book in chronological order you know, of life's kind of major financial decisions. So if you think about it, right, you turn 18, what's the first grown-up decision you have to make? Well, you're probably going to get a credit card, right? Then maybe you're going to buy a car. Then it's, well, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? Like, what career do I choose? Then you have to think about, okay, I've got a job. Now, do I use the company's 401k? If I decide to invest in it, do I use a passive investment? Do I do active investment, stocks, bonds, money market, right? Then it's, okay, I need to purchase a house. Do I get the 15 year? Do I get the 30 year? How do I save for retirement? The list goes on, right? And so, you know, I wanted to kind of give my kids this book so they can, you know, read it, let's say when they're 18, right? They read the book. Some of it's going to be applicable. Some of it's not. But then, you know, fast forward six or seven years, my kids will go back and they'll say, okay, now I'm getting ready to buy my first house. I remember, oh yeah, that's chapter eight of dad's book. Let me go back and let me reread that because he gives us a, a really good idea of how to think about the process and, and how to make a, a better, more informed decision. And so, like, the idea was, I don't want to tell anyone what to do in my book. Um, I want to show you how to run the numbers. So, so the name of the book, right? Running the Numbers, a step-by-step -step guide to life's major financial decisions. And so my book is different than that. It doesn't give you any rules of thumb. So a lot of financial books out there, they're going to tell you, hey, you should always buy a used car. That's a good decision. You should only purchase a house that's X percent of your gross monthly uh, income. I purposely don't do any of that because I want to show you how to run the numbers so that you can generate data points, right? So that whenever it comes time to make a decision, you've got now data points and you can understand the trade-offs between different decisions. And then you can make whatever decision is right for you. I mean, what's the right decision for you? I have no idea. But what I can do is I can give you a framework and show you how to think about it so you can make a data-driven, informed decision, right? Yeah. Um, so let me just stop you for a while. I know there's a lot of more information coming. So yeah. I mean, I just want to make sure that I recap for myself, right? Because I, you are right. I mean, a lot of times 
when we grow up, I mean, we yeah, we have go to school and everybody said, yeah, you have to get married, you have to buy a house and you have to have kids. And then after that, you die and you move on, I guess, right? But yeah. everybody forgets about, hey, they, beside the job, you know, there's so much, I mean, there's money involved, right? There's, there's decisions mm-hmm. that you make in your life, like getting a credit card, right? I mean, what is the right credit card to get? And you know, what's the right car to get, right? I mean, for yourself, I guess, right? So all that is really not thought. So I, that's why, I mean, I, I brought you in into this podcast and because when you told me that you wrote a book about this, hey, I said, I need to share this with my audience because this is exactly the book that we need to, I mean, first we need to learn, right? But also our kids and our future generation, anybody out there who are starting up in life need to learn because it's all it's all about decision making. And if you, you can make wrong decision much early and you can, you know, uh, mess up your whole life. At the same time, if you can make right decision and if you have a book like that, I mean, you can't blame anyone for not teaching you. There is a book out there. Yeah. Just, just a quick thing. Um, how long did you take to write the book? Yeah, g- good question. Yeah, this had been kind of on the back burner for a long time, actually. You know, when I was working at Exxon, I was working 60 hours a week. So it was something that was kind of always in the back of my mind. I just never had time to do it. So the framework of what I wanted to talk about was already there. So I'd say the actual process of writing the book, maybe six months, add another six months for publishing. I mean, as, as you know, you have your own book. Yeah, you know, it whatever takes, time it takes a long year. time. <laughs> It takes yeah, one to one and a half years to do the whole thing, right? Yeah, it to, took me... Yeah, you have to revise it like 20 times to get it right. Yeah. right. yeah, writing the book was definitely easier than the publishing. The publishing was quite painful. <laughs> right. Yeah, even when I was writing my book, I thought, yeah, just write the book and let's get it published. Everything's done. But, you know, then that is hard, right? There's a lot more things that comes after that too. That's good. So let's go into the content of the book. Let's talk about high level chapters. And what are the key things that you have covered it? And, and and it's really good that you have made it as though, you know, it goes by the life cycle of a person because I think that's where they can yeah. look at the chapters, I guess, right? So so let's go there and talk about that. Yeah, so, so like I said, I, I tried to write the book in chronological order, right? And so the first two chapters of the book cover some very basic concepts, covers time value of money and compound interest. And, and understanding those is really key to understanding any other financial concepts that you're, that you're going to talk about. So that's chapter one and two. And then it really jumps into, like you said, the life cycle. So chapter three is getting a credit card. And it really goes through, let's understand your terms and conditions. Like what actually happens when you get a credit card? That's actually a short-term loan from, a, you're actually getting a loan from a bank and you have to pay that back. And the interest rates are high. And what happens, I show you like how they actually calculate it, right? The daily balance method, uh, the average daily balance method, all these ways they calculate it. Then it goes on to purchasing a car. And, and I love the chapter on purchasing a car because I give an example of, should you purchase a Toyota or a Lexus? And this is where I really drive home the concept of opportunity cost. Um, and we do a simple future value calculation. I say, okay, what is the incremental cost of ownership over the life of owning that Lexus versus if you were to buy the Toyota? And what I show you how to do is how to calculate that and say, okay, if I want to buy this Lexus, it's going to cost me, you know, let's say you own the car for 10 years, right? In 10 years, I'd have X amount more dollars if I bought that Toyota versus buying the Lexus. And once again, I don't know what the right decision is, but at least I show you a framework in which to quantify it, right? Um, And and once again, I'm trying to drive home the idea of what's the opportunity cost. So you've got purchasing the car, and then I talk about how to think about getting a job. And so, you know, one of the things that a lot of folks will ask kids, like, hey, what do you want to be to grow up when you when you grow up, right? And what's the first thing that person usually thinks of? They say, well, what do I like to do? And I just cringe when I hear that question because that's the absolute wrong way to ask it. 
And if you ask someone, what do you like to do? Really what you should ask them is, what would you like to do if you didn't have to worry about money, right? I want to be an actor. Well, that's, you know, not to say that I couldn't be an actor, but the reality is, is that it's pretty tough to make it as an actor, right? And so the point being is that I want to show folks, okay, let's think about not what do you like to do, but what are the different careers that are going to provide you a good life, that are going to put food on the table? And we look at it from the perspective of what is my return per unit of time invested, right? So if you want to be a lawyer or a teacher, I don't know which one's right for you, but if you look at the return per unit of time invested, a teacher might out-earn a lawyer on an hourly basis. It's just that a lawyer works 100 hours a week, right? But you can quantify that. And you can make a little bit better, more informed decision on, okay, do I really want to be a lawyer? Is that trade-off, that, that work-life balance, is that really worth it to me? And you've got to look at the present value of the lifetime earnings, make sure that you just make enough money in general, but then also that, okay, let's say you want to be a pharmacist or a plumber. Well, a pharmacist, once they graduate high school, they've got to go to eight more years of school. So yes, you will make more money, but if the thought of going to school for additional eight years makes you cringe, then maybe that's not, not the right career for you, right? So you want to kind of take all of this into account, once again, to make that more informed decision. So I talk about getting a job. Then I talk about investing in defined contribution plan. That's a technical term for uh, 401ks, IRAs, things like that. Uh, we go over management fees, how to actually evaluate the impact of, of management fees, so passive versus active investing. Uh, I talk about uh, kids. So I, I show you a framework uh, to put a, a finance, a, a, to quantify the cost of kids. And, and I, first of all, I love my family. I wouldn't trade my kids or my family for the world. But I think it's important that people try to quantify the cost of children. You know, and I'm not in any way advocating not having kids. But the reason I say that is because being married is hard and having kids is really hard. And if you throw on like stress about your finances on top of that, it's just over the top. You, most people can't deal with it. Right. So it's important that you kind of think about, OK, if we're going to have kids, OK, maybe you're going to have to forego an income because it, you know, it takes a lot of more time and effort to take care of kids. Maybe you can't work or maybe you can't make as much money as you were making before and the added expenses. So the idea is just kind of understand what you're getting into and make sure that you're financially prepared so that you can focus on loving your kids instead of stressing out about, out about your finances. Right. And so I just want people to think about that. Then we talk about purchasing a house, really how to evaluate the different types of loans. So I go over, you know, what is a mortgage? You know, most people, they say, I have to pay my mortgage this month. Well, you're not actually paying your mortgage. You're paying the note to the bank. The mortgage is the other document that says, if you don't pay it, the bank's going to come take your house back. It's actually two different documents, right? So I talk about what is a mortgage? What are the different types of common loans? You've got an amortizing loan that most people will get for a house. That interest only, which is used commonly in multifamily. You've got adjustable rates. I also talk about what you can afford. And once again, I don't tell you what you can afford, but I show you a framework to think about it. You know, when you purchase a house, most people think, okay, can I make that payment, right? But in addition to the payment, you've got insurance, you've got property taxes, you've got HOA fees, you've got planned and unplanned maintenance, you've got, you know, umpteenth trips to Home Depot for side projects. You know, you've got to factor all this in, right? And so I'm just trying to provide a framework so folks can think, okay, Maybe I shouldn't get that expensive of a house because I've really got all these other costs to consider. The, the last part of the book, I talk a bit about uh, life insurance. You know, life insurance, a lot of folks don't like to think about it because it involves thinking about your own death, right? Not, not a fun subject, but definitely an important one because you want to make sure that you take care of your loved ones, right? And one other thing that I, I emphasize in the book is that, you know, a lot of people for life insurance, if you have a spouse that doesn't work, you think, oh, my spouse doesn't work. I don't make any money. Why would I get an insurance policy for him? Well, I can guarantee you that if my wife, you know, God forbid, were to pass away, 
people are not going to be lined up around the block to take care of my kids 24-7 for free. So I have a life insurance policy on her. You know, so the last chapter is on saving for retirement. And once again, I don't tell you what to invest in, but it's more of understanding a framework in which to think about what does retirement mean? Like you have to first, a lot of people will ask me, say, hey, Mike, you're the finance guy. What should I invest in? And my answer is always, I have no clue. And not because I don't know what to invest in, but because unless you understand, first of all, what are your goals? Did you quantify your goals? Did you prioritize your goals? And then have you looked at how you can create actionable steps to achieve them? How can I tell you or, or guide you in any way in what to invest in? So this last, the last chapter is really trying to help folks understand what does retirement mean? What are my goals? How are you going to get there? And once you understand that, then you can start to look at, okay, now what should I invest in, right? And so a bit of a long-winded explanation about the book, but but in a, essentially that, that that's what the book is about. No, I think I think it's really an awesome content. That I'm going to get the book, at least for me, or at least for my kids, right? So I probably, I mean, there's a lot more, lot of nuances in our daily finances. Like I didn't know between the difference between note and mortgage, right? <laughs> But it's written in yeah. your book, right? So I didn't know. I mean, I know we talk about mortgage. We talk about note. Whenever we buy deals, you know, there's note, but there's no there's no such thing as mortgage, right? Uh, but right. now at least, you know, things like that is small nuances that I think it's important to know, right? Because, you know, you make everything flows through money, right? Money is the currency of life. And I think yeah. uh, it's important how to use it to, so that uh, you can, you know, use it uh, more efficiently, I guess. So is there anything that you write, like right now, today, where you think that I should have written in that book a topic that you think i i missed it I, maybe i should i can add more things is there any any other things that you think i can add in yeah you know that was one of the real challenges in writing the book and that is that you know if you think about finance right it's such a broad subject and and, and scope creep was, was really challenging my book because i could have i could have wrote a book that was this thick because for every subject that i talk about you know i talk about investing in the 401k well what are you investing you invest in stocks bonds, money market, or what's a stock? What's a dividend? You can get go into all these rabbit holes. So there are a lot of other things I wanted to talk about, but at the end of the day, I had to kind of stop myself and say, okay, uh, and actually talk about this in the preface of the book. I say, you know, there's so many rabbit holes that we could go down and there's no way I could possibly cover it in one book. And so what I did was I added a reference section to the back of the book with some other books that I recommend reading, as well as some other websites to reference where you can kind of go down into these rabbit holes. And then one of the other things that I did, um, in addition to the book, I actually made a YouTube series. And the thought behind that was, there's only so much you can do with the written word, right? So let's take, for example, uh, credit cards. When I'm explaining the, the terms and conditions, I, I can talk about it in the book, but it's much more impactful if you actually see me go to Chase's website. I show you where to click to find the terms and conditions. I highlight each one. I explain what it means. I show you where to put that in the Excel. You know, so I'm sharing screen the whole time I'm doing this in the YouTube video. And so I tried to kind of supplement the book with different things that I really couldn't cover on the page uh, with the YouTube series. And so I, I guess to answer your question, there's a lot of other things I wanted to talk about. But once again, I had to keep the book somewhat yeah. manageable. Yeah. So you can keep on writing things uh, you know, if you want to write, right? And you will never finish with the book. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, is that YouTube series a paid version or is that a, a free version? No, no, it's totally free. Um, and, and, well, and the, the idea is, name? so if you want to get more information on the book or the YouTube series, you can go to my website. It's michaeltortoridgefinance.com, all one word. Or if you just search on YouTube, 
Michael Toderich Finance, my YouTube channel will come up. And just as a note to your listeners, the YouTube series isn't finished yet. I'm still in the process of making the videos. They take quite some time. I've got, I'm about halfway done. So about half the videos are up and I'll continue to post those as, as soon as I can make them. But, uh, but yeah, but the YouTube videos, each video basically corresponds to a chapter or a section in the book. And it just kind of adds that extra kind of extra layer of, of color to each of the chapters where I can go into a bit more detail where I wasn't able to um, in, the, in the book. Got it. Awesome, Michael. So why not you show our audience the book? Uh, do you have it handy oh, here by you? I do. There you go. It's called Running the Numbers. And, the, you know, there's someone sitting there and, and it's available on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You can get it uh, on Amazon today. It's available. You can get it, uh, you know, obviously the, I prefer the, the, the paper copy, but you can also get a Kindle version. No, they're both available. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I want to go and grab uh, grab that book and read it. And at least, you know, hopefully my one of my kids will read it. Right? So, but I think the resource is available, right? that's that's the most important so you want to give your contact i mean i know you gave me your web gave the website is there anything any other contact that you want to give uh, for you yeah i mean i guess the best way for folks to get in touch with me if they want to reach out go to my website once again it's michaeltorichfinance.com all one word um and you can just click on the link for contact and that'll uh, that'll shoot an email to me and i'm happy to speak with anyone that uh, has more questions or is interested in the book you know I, i'm super passionate about this i really believe that the information in the book has the power to help people uh, just to improve quality of life by making better decisions. You know, I originally wrote it for my two kids, like I said, but uh, uh, I think it can help everyone. So I'm happy to speak with anyone who's interested. Awesome. Thank you, Michael, for coming onto the show. And I think uh, that's it. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.